Hello, friends. Welcome to episode eight of the Good Pals podcast. I am your host, Matt Stock, and as always, I am up in the lab on Lagoon with my co-host, my producer, and my good pal, Mr. Zachary Stevens. Stevens. What's up, folks? Stevens, how's it going today, bud? I'm looking out the window right now. We got some Toy Story clouds. A vanilla sky, you would say, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, we're a little bit off our normal schedule this week. Not in a bad way, but we're usually recording late at night on Sundays. Here we're doing a little late afternoon, early evening recording. Yeah, I was dying Sunday. So. Dude, we had a busy weekend. Yeah, we both had a lot going on. Yeah, you had a road gig. For yeah, you what did both. you do? Tell everyone what you did. Um, Saturday I went up and I was kind of like a hired gun. I played a bit of guitar for uh, my friends up there and their band, and it was pretty neat. We played at the, uh, the Charleston Aquarium or the South Carolina Aquarium. Played in front of a huge fish tank. It was um, it was an experience to say the least. I I dug it. But yeah. uh, went out after one and tied one on, got way too drunk, and then Sunday was just a fucking haze. Got a taste of the nightlife in Charleston. Not a fan. You don't love the ladies up there in Charleston? No. Pretty gals. Not yeah. a lot to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I apologize to some of our good friends in Charleston, their listeners, and wonderful conversationalists and brilliant women. Zach was not hanging out with any of you the other night, though, were you? No, yeah. I went to the wrong parts. Yeah, I hear you, bud. I hear you. Charleston can be like that sometimes, but cool to get out of town and have an interesting gig, I suppose. Um, I, myself, was uh, back on the theater grind last weekend, continuing a run of sold-out shows of Neil Simon's The Odd Couple at Caligny Theater. Three last shows. Did a show Friday, show Saturday, and a matinee Sunday. And just like that, the first acting experiment is uh, over. And I had a fucking great time, man. I loved it. And who didn't come to one of your shows because they're a piece of shit friend? You didn't come to any of my shows. I missed all of his shows. There's a short list of people that, you know, I would have liked to have made the shows that couldn't make it, but you're on that list. Week it's one. It's okay, though, man. You were, you were sick the first week, and you had shit going on the second week. And, I mean, I, t- I totally get it. Thank you. And, you know, and, and people were super supportive, and so many of my friends came out, and so many people in Hilton Head came out in general. So to take myself out of the equation... Because it really is important to me that this work was done by a group of people um, that worked so fucking hard to pull this play off and execute the shit out of it. I mean, when I was rehearsing for this play, I was watching versions of the play on YouTube, The Odd Couple, because it's so performed so many times. Mm-hmm. And I really do, I think our cast, like, I would put up in, like, the Pepsi Challenge against any of the other, like, you know, amateur or community theater kind of productions that I saw. It was above and beyond. I mean, not, like, I'm not talking, like, Matthew Broderick and Nathan Lane. Like Broadway level, but it was a really good cast. And when I got accolades from people for what I did on the stage, the first thing I'd say was, yeah, but what did you think about so-and-so or so-and-so or how fucking funny was this person? Because at the end of the day, man, my part was on the smaller side of the parts in the play. The guy was kind of a schlub. I had a lot of transitional dialogue. I only had like three or four opportunities or five in the course of a two-hour play to get some laughs, you know? Yeah, and I feel like in a play like that or just a play in general, it's way easier to enjoy your friends moments than your own if you're like laughing at yourself it's kind of odd you know yeah no of course i mean yeah that would no no that would that would be weird but it's just um there's so much funny material in the play that my my co-actors got to really sink their teeth into and just executed the shit out of it man it was so funny and not always easy 
I'm lucky that in my scenes, like I'm sitting at a poker table, like bullshitting around and laughing with my buddies because mm-hmm. you can kind of laugh during the play. And that was kind of a nice outlet because if I had to be straight faced up there, it would be hard, man, because there's a lot of funny shit going on. So I just want to thank everyone in Hilton Head for coming out and making the play a success, man. Six sellouts. I think it's good for the future of maybe some more non-musical plays, whether they be comedy or dramas coming up. Um, I plan to stay. I'm going to stay with it. I'm going to try to do some more work. So we'll see what happens. But it was busy for both of us. We had to strike the set after the uh, after the play on Sunday, which means break down the whole thing that we built. Ended up being a long day. Neither of us were in the mood for it. So our standard schedule of cooking dinner, watching The Last of Us, cutting a pod was yeah. way off. You were busy as hell. I was driving home from Charleston yeah. fighting for my life. So, so and, and in addition to all that, we had not yet seen our discussion topic for today's podcast, Cocaine Bear. Yeah, it took us a minute. So. We've had Cocaine Bear marked on the counter since probably around episode two or three. <laughs> when I was going through release dates, it's like, oh shit, Cocaine Bear, February 26th. You know, I can't wait to do an episode about that. It should be interesting. Um, and we saw Cocaine Bear today. Yeah. Over at the Northridge. Uh, uh, yeah, it was a goofy-ass movie. Yeah. I'm just, I'm laughing because as I have uh, some of the IMDb for Cocaine Bear pulled up, I'm, look, this trailer's playing. I'm just like, oh my God. So Cocaine Bear... You may have heard different reviews or heard different stuff from your friends. Um, I'd like Cocaine Bear. It's not a bad movie. I've seen way worse comedies. Uh, it's almost a slasher film, I think. It felt some, a lot like a slasher. With some times. comedy laid in. And we're gonna get we're gonna get into Cocaine Bear. We're gonna also talk about um, not only drug movies, maybe not even that we necessarily enjoy, but sort of how broad the spectrum of drug movies is once you start like looking them up and thinking about it. I feel like there's more drug movies than any other genre of movies. Yeah, and, and drug shows. Yeah. Like just, you know. Yeah. Drugs. Goes on forever. Drugs everywhere. Drugs everywhere. But um, a couple little things to talk about before we get into Cocaine Bear and um, and some other flicks that we're excited to talk about. Um, interesting news from the world of awards shows. We're getting into the thick of award season. We're two weeks away from our Good Pals podcast Academy Awards post-show special mm-hmm. with special guest Sarah Joey Clemens. For you guys that have been clamoring for the return of the great Sarah Joey, she's going to be back in a week and a half. Sarah Joey. Because we are having a little Oscar party here at the lab, and we're going to have some snacks. We're going to watch the Oscars, and then we're going to jump right on and record afterwards with our reactions to the awards. But we're in the thick of award season, so this means the Screen Actors Guild Awards, the Producers Guild Awards, the Directors Guild Awards have all just recently gone down since we did our Oscar episode, and we're not going to have the most exciting Oscar party. Because everything, everywhere, all at once is fucking winning everything. I mean, it's, it's steamrolling. I don't know about that, but uh, well, look up the Screen Actors Guild Awards. Did it from crush? Sunday? And look up the Directors Guild Awards and look up the Producers Guild Awards. It's winning Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Acting, uh, Best Acting by an Ensemble, and the individual awards. So I will once again say I do think that Everything Everywhere All at Once is a great, a very good movie. Is it um, sweep-worthy? No. It's going to sweep, though. I do think it's going to sweep, which is good because I bet our listener, David Betts, that <laughs> Michelle Yeoh is a lock to win Best Actress. He insists that Kate Blanchett is going to win for Tar, deservedly so, perhaps, but we got a 20 spot on it, and I'm feeling like I'm liking that money right now. <laughs> feeling lucky. You I listen mean, to me, Betts? You better pay up, sucker. We should have Betts over. I was going to say we should invite Betts over for the Oscars because he's a big awards fan, but you don't have room for him on the couch, really. I mean, it's me, can, you, Sarah, Joey, and Leo. Could be, 
Yeah. Yeah. We can make a fourth white, a fourth mic work though. Bets could sit in one of our Bets could sit in one of our chairs to watch the show with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll see. I'll talk to him. I'm sure we'll see him this week. I bet we'll see him tonight at the bar. We're working together this evening too. Yeah. Yeah. The world famous Cool Cats Lounge. The Zach Stevens band is performing. The whole the the whole outfit. The three of you guys. Another moment in my life when my drummer finagled his way into a show I'm playing. <laughs> <laughs> Wrapping up your winter residency at the lounge. Yeah. So yeah, I'll be bartending there. We're gonna have a good time doing that. I always like when the full band plays together. We always end up having a we always end up having fun, I think, when the whole gang plays. Yeah, absolutely absolutely. Beautiful day in Hilton Head. Season started to roll around. Um, and things are changing. So what's going on with you? Have you been seeing or listening to anything recently that has uh, caught your attention? Movie-wise? Yeah, movie-wise or shows. I mean, you know, I think you and I are pretty on, on the same page. I mean, we're following The Last of Us pretty closely. I'm, yeah. You know, not to get too deep into, you know, our drug flicks and shows, but I've been re-watching Breaking Bad just because it's so goddamn good. I've never done a rewatch on Breaking Bad, but, I mean, talk about being eminently rewatchable. It's the easiest rewatch I've ever done in my life. How fast do you, when you do a rewatch, how fast do you burn through it? I mean, I started probably four or five days ago. I'm already on season two. Yeah. I'm just, you know. I'm God, not really bingey. I'm like, I'm kind of like an episode at night while I fall asleep and then like an episode at the gym or something. And you know what? It's the shows, you know, up until recently, up until 10, around 10 years ago, most shows had like 22 episode seasons. So yeah. I don't know about, I, I don't recall how many episodes Breaking Bad had per season, but I think it was between like 10 and 20. Yeah. Well, isn't the new like um, standard, like an eight to 10 yeah. episode season? Yeah. But these yeah. like series, I mean, Sopranos had more episodes than that in their seasons and Season uh, five had a part one and part two. The Wire right. used to have right. a shitload of episodes. Great shows, but so many more episodes. I think budgets are bigger, and I don't know. People's attention spans are shorter, unfortunately. That's so. true. I mean, even like uh, The Last of Us, it, it surprises me when a show does that well at a weekly release basis. You know, because Netflix kind of like with Stranger Things and some of their releases dropping a whole season at once. Sure. I, sure. I kind of hate the binge factor though, because then if you use any kind of like film or pop culture, social media and like, like I do the pages I follow, you can have a season finale ruined for you in fucking 18 hours by some yeah. of these people. Uh, every, you know? every, every, all, all media for the most part has pretty much lifted any kind of spoiler embargoes <laughs> where like, I mean, simultaneously, if I don't watch the last of a Sunday night, as soon as I get online Monday morning, I'm going to know what happened. There's an amazing page on Twitter. Some, some sites are better than others, but some just will fucking drop it right there. I know. The well, they'll drop a picture, too, or something, you know, oh, something yeah. you haven't seen. But there's there's a page on Twitter called uh, uh, No Context Spoilers. Yeah, I like No Context Spoilers. <laughs> and yeah. it'll, just, it'll just post like a bunch of goofy-ass pictures pertaining mm-hmm. to the episode. That's my favorite, because when I do see those before the episode, and then I watch it, I like laugh to myself. I'm like, oh, fuck, you know those. I might take a crack. At, we, should, we should take a crack at doing some No Context Spoilers for the, for the social media. Oh uh, yeah, why not? I think I think we could definitely do that. Um, I'm doing a rewatch right now too, and it certainly was nothing groundbreaking like um, like Breaking Bad was. But I don't know if you've heard of this show. Stars just announced a brand new season of it after a 10 year break. It's called Party Down. Have you heard of the show Party Down? I haven't. So Party Down was a show that was on Stars 10, 12 years ago, created by Paul Rudd and a couple other very uh, funny guys about a catering company in Los Angeles. That is staffed largely by actors and people in the people in the industry, and um, it's a really good. Sh- it's a good F and B. It's a good show if you're F and B. It's a good show if you're into like entertainment industry, um, and it's a good show if you're into sort of like drug and alcohol humor, which the show has a lot of. But it's got a good. It's got a good comedic cast. Adam Scott's the lead in it. Great cast. Ken Marino's always made me laugh. Ken Marino from the state, uh, originally. 
um, who has been behind a lot of great comedy stuff. He's in the whole Wet Hot American Summer crew. It's a lot of the Parks and Rec uh, cast here. Uh, well, um, God, why am I not? Why am I forgetting her name right now? Jane Lynch. Yeah. Fantastic. Lizzie Kaplan, who official girlfriend of the Good Pals podcast. Yeah, well, she's <laughs> you, a, she's on your show. You're watching right now. You pick like two an episode. I know. There's more coming up in this episode too. <laughs> but Lizzie Kaplan, official girlfriend of the Good Pals podcast. Is she the heroin junkie in Breaking Bad? Yeah, that was Pickman's oh, okay. girlfriend. Yeah. Um, Walt kills. Yeah. That's, you didn't do have a spoiler alert for that, though, did you? If you haven't seen Breaking Bad by now, I can help you. <sighs> yeah, it's time to get on it, people. But, uh, <laughs> so, but Liz Kaplan's great in the show. Uh, Martin Starr is in it. And there's a ton of guest stars. It's just like all heavy hitters of comedy. But it just, they, just, uh, redid a, they, they, they just did a new season. That's on Stars, which most people don't have. But if you have Hulu, the first few seasons of Party Down are on there. It's a half-hour show. It's really funny. Uh, so I recommend that. If you've got Hulu, check out Party Down. Have some laughs. And party Down a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you might take it too, Stevens. So that's my rewatch recommendation for the week. Um, one episode of television that I will probably not be rewatching anytime soon. <laughs> All great things must come to an end. There's always little letdowns in life. And on to that end, we are going to discuss episode seven of The Last of Us, our favorite TV show. What's up, Stevens? I'm okay. I'm not going to say all good things must come to an end. I don't think we're looking at the. I the, said all great things. This show's on a streak from hell. You know what I mean? Of yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of just crushing it. Yeah, I don't think this this episode though is the demise. Will be the demise of the last of us. Nor do I. Nor do here, I. Here's what happened. We got an episode Sunday night that was uh, lukewarm. Yeah. You know, it was definitely a, lukewarm. It was a filler episode that. Kind of followed Ellie's backstory. A flashback episode. Yeah. I had a friend text me and say, don't defend this episode on your podcast. It blew chunks. I was like, man, all right. I don't know if it was that bad, but I started no. I started out optimistic and as it went on. I was sort of, the, the analogy that I came up with, which I think is pretty close to accurate, is for those of you that are Stranger Things fans, which I'm sure there are many of, we'll think about the controversial and polarizing episode, uh, season two episode, where Eleven splits to go looking for her sister and it's a bottle episode and she's just with all those other kids with powers yeah and it completely derailed the narrative and everyone kind of hated it i like pushed that out of my brain i forgot that happened this is that episode i think for the last of us and it doesn't it's not completely meaningless in the narrative of the show it shows us a little bit about ellie's backstory maybe not even the backstory that i'd like to see though we kind of knew that she was in fedra school and that she was getting trained to be toughy and yeah. stuff like that i'd like to know more like where how was she born you know, what was, yeah, her young, what was her young childhood like? I'd exactly. like to see that because she obviously is a pretty intelligent, exceptional young woman. But I hate to oversimplify things, but this is sort of about her having a crush on her roommate. Yeah. What we got was another, you know, queer love story episode. But I'm saying that in a way of like, I much more enjoyed the first queer love episode. Yeah. This one wasn't sure, as the nature. The, I mean, the, the nature of the. The nature of the parties involved, I guess, isn't super important, but it bears noting, you know. And, and didn't you think like the third episode was like a cool filler episode with like this queer love story, but like it didn't feel forced. And this one was like, let's embrace Ellie's whole thing. Yeah, you know it was what I mean? very forced. And I, I don't know if that <clears throat> I don't know if Ellie's queer in the game. I think or, I'm almost positive she is. But actually, I know <laughs> she is definitely. We know Bella Thorne is. You know, Bella Ramsey. Bella Ramsey. I'm sorry. Bella Thorne, <laughs> yeah. official girlfriend of the Good get, Pals podcast. Get your head out of the fucking gutter, Matt. <laughs> okay, so um, 
Yeah, but it's it's just uh, it's a Jesus. it's definitely it's a it's definitely a bottle episode. Um, it's a day. It take, takes takes course over the day of a course of one night. Last five minutes rock though. So, I guess like we're not going to get into too many spoilers, but her roommate, um, and I forget the character's name, unfortunately, uh, runs away from Fedra school, but comes back to bust um, to bust Ellie out one night. Says she's going to give her the best night of her life, and they go to a shopping mall. That has been long abandoned, but it's apparently fortified against infected, according to what this guy has learned from her time with the fireflies. See, and that's one thing that kind of made this episode suck was like, just this like, the, the the viewer had so much like suspense of disbelief during this episode. Basically, they, they sneak into this abandoned mall together, and she finds a way to like cut the breaker to turn on all these lights, and they have the time of their life, and they go into stores and ride carousels, and it's like, yeah. how are you telling me in this fucking lockdown <coughs> Like Toter, like this this fucking town that is that is you know what I mean. Um, going back to episode two, Zach can't say totalitarian. There I go, I got it out. Totalitarian. You're telling me these people aren't fucking pulling up on these lights and noises? Like I don't know. It just felt they were just doing. It was it was forced. And how a heavily infected populated city is free of infected. Because that's what happens at a shopping when mall. you take Daddy Pedro Pascal off the fucking screen for ten minutes. The story suffered by not having Joel involved in it. And, you know, if we know what we know about Ellie, you know, is, of course, that she lost all the people that she cares about and she did get infected, but displays no symptoms. This is basically the episode about how that happens. Yeah. So from the, from the jump start, you know, what's going to happen. It's the last of us. Let's have this, you know, sort of very charming um, relationship to feel good kind of relationship. Feel good thing. Feel good things don't last long on the last of us. Uh, you know, I'm going to put up, I'm going to tag a spoiler alert on the, you know, on the episode notes. They, they get bitten by a zombie and we know that one's going to die and one's going to live. Yeah. So that, I mean, that's, that's it. And I don't even know if they're going to show us they, they, don't, they, they don't follow it through to the end. You know, we don't see who dies or, no, no, you know, no. what happens, but Kinda you know, we know that to... we know a clicker is going to pop up at some point. Here's the thing though. Crystal ball prediction for me. I think they bounce back well. Next episode, I think we're gonna get a, a great episode next week. So uh, we said that last week. I mean, we were like, "Oh man, I got a good feeling about the next episode because major cliffhanger with Joel getting stabbed." Yeah, but believe me now, I'm just... no, I think you're right too. <laughs> I think you're right too. But my qu- my question is, how many diversions can you take from the main story and keep people engaged? I'm sure I mean, the answer is many, and I'm and I'm sure the ratings were very successful for well, the show. The game and all the critics are dick riding the episode like crazy. Well, the game runners and writers did a great job. I mean, they've they've done two parts of an amazing game. They have enough source material to work with and and still continue a great show. So I have faith in them for that. But yeah, it'll just take you know introduction of characters and you know HBO's pretty pretty fucking solid man. So I'm not gonna. HBO is great. They, I mean, they, they, they do the best. They do the best series work far and away. I think, in my opinion, and um, we have to, But there's only two more episodes of Last of Us left to go. Yeah, but I mean, just going off source material, I think they can round this season out. Are um, are we rolling right into Succession from when Last of Us ends? Just about right. Yeah, I think we're getting really um, 
I think we're getting lucky with our TV show drops. I wonder if they're. Uh, I wonder if Last of Us is maybe taking a week off because of the Oscars. Actually, no. Succession comes out in June. We got some time. No, it does not. Yeah. Oh. Oh shit. <laughs> Sorry. Season three. Season uh, four is coming out, right? He's got me fucked up. Oh man. my god. Me too, man. Woo. March twenty sixth. Yeah. Oh, happy birthday, mom. Man, fuck with my Succession's like fuck with my emotions. Mom, buddy. I would love to take you out to dinner and do something for your birthday, but I won't. I'll be watching Succession. Yeah. So uh, get over it. Probably too, too soon for more chicken parm, I guess. We'll figure out something. <laughs> <laughs> we have to have a fancy meal for a succession. I think. Yeah, they're like rich old English money, so I'll make like a, a shepherd's pie. Coco Vaughn, like I enjoyed this week? No, shepherd's pie. Shepherd's pie would be nice. Shepherd's pie and succession. Mark your calendars, kids. So we're not all the way down on The Last of Us, but I really thought it was a bit of a frivolous episode. It didn't offer many surprises. It didn't offer much plot development. It sort of filled in blanks. I think most of us already filled in, in our minds. It was cute. Yeah. Until it wasn't cute anymore. So, I mean, that's that's kind of a drag. But we're all in on The Last of Us. And, you know, The Last of Us is an unreal situation trying to be serious. But, you know, we we got to see a movie today that was an unreal situation that wasn't trying to be serious. Yeah. Was, do you want to get into the, do you want to get into our topic of the week? Kind of want to get into the nitty gritty of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, Cocaine Bear. Um, not super surprising to me. Very successful um, weekend at the box office. Considering the source here, $23 million. That's not much for a major box office release. Guys, for Cocaine Bear, that's a shitload of money. Which means a lot of people went out to see this movie. And I think it's because it was marketed in a very smart fashion by the studio. Cocaine Bear is a comedy. I laughed quite a bit, yeah. It's a bit of an absurd comedy, and I think that when you look at the parties that are involved in this film, it becomes a bit clearer as to why it has the sort of vibe that it does. Also, I think we were laughing during this flick, not at the parts that we were supposed to laugh at. Yeah, well, that, or, or there's... Uh, well, here's, here's something. Like, I'm, a, I'm a frequent... Here's something about the reach of Cocaine Bear that sort of surprised me. I'm a Hilton Head daytime moviegoer. I always go to... Um, the movies during the day, usually by myself. On a beautiful day like today, too. I felt yeah, like, it really was nice. I felt but like we, Nosferatu or we had, something. Yeah, we did, we did have to get this in, though. Or we could have probably been, you know, hacky sacking in the quad or something. Or, <laughs> you know, doing something like that. But um, Throwing disc in the quad. Yeah, we had to uh, we had to see Cocaine Bear. And um, I figured me and Stevens would have a private screening. You know, I go, I go to movies at Park Plaza, Northridge. Today we had to go to Northridge. I hate those fucking seats. There's a couple deadheads. How many the times did though? I adjust my chair today during cooking? I don't know. My hand hits the thing though too, and I'm just like, rrr, rrr, my leg rrr, hits rrr, it, but like rrr, very rrr. sensitive. Just what do you call those cars that go up and down the the Latinos drive? Oh, hydraulics. Yeah. 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 You were looking at me like I fucking. Said Sorry, I've been out of the hood for a long time, SC. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Usually your impressions fall really flat. That was fucking incredible. <laughs> <laughs> my impressions fall really flat. You were just telling me two weeks ago how beautiful my singing voice was during my Burt Bacharach tribute. Okay, you're right. I'm a star of the stage now, dude. That's true. I've, I have a craft. I practice my craft. Critics are raving about Matt Stock's performance. Anyway, there's a, there's a good, nice official Good Pals podcast diversion for you there. Uh, what I'm getting what I'm getting around to is there's like ten fucking people at Cocaine Bear at two o'clock in the afternoon today on a beautiful day <laughs> in Hill Net Island. I have never the only time I've oh ever seen God. the only time I've ever seen more than more than you know four people in a movie theater during the day in Hill Net is when it's like a Marvel movie the day it comes out like the Friday matinee. Yeah, dude, you can see like if you go in there for like 
fucking, you know, something else at Northridge, you'll see like a tumbleweed go by. Yeah, dude, or Park uh-huh. Plaza, anything, for, including for new releases. Yeah. So this is reaching out to some people, or people are cu- probably just curious <laughs> about it. And I don't blame them because it's so absurd. Uh, and it is loosely, loosely based on the true story. What do you know about the true story, Stevens? I don't know shit about the true story. The whole movie. Okay, well, I, was... I did my homework for the episode, so I know some stuff about <laughs> well, the true story. I was gonna, you didn't let me finish. Well, I don't have time for you to Google it and then read it to our listeners. It's not what I was going to do. Okay, go ahead. You do your thing. Loosely based on a true story. I was going to say the whole movie, I was like pondering what happened. Yeah. But, yeah, I didn't like, I didn't lay in bed last night and Wikipedia, I Wikipedia real shit, man. <laughs> Wikipedia is referenced right in the beginning of this movie. You go ahead. When it discusses the the uh, the eating habits of the black bear. Look, it's, this happened in the 80s in Tennessee, right? A drug smuggler, eccentric drug smuggler was flying over Tennessee, had left Columbia, and something happened that made him ditch all of his cargo over Tennessee, and uh, he jumped out with his parachute on. The parachute got tied up with the drugs that he was carrying on his body. Plane was going down, right? Yeah, one? and he died. And another thing that died is a bear that found a cocaine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And ate, I think they said, three to four pounds of it. Jesus. Three to four pounds of cocaine. It died, like, immediately. So it wasn't a bear that didn't go, didn't get, you know, starved for blood and go on a killing rampage or anything like that. But they did the autopsy on the bear. They said its stomach was literally packed with cocaine. So pretty sad for that. I mean, can you, you mean imagine? Pablo Escobar? Pablo, <laughs> yeah, that's it's funny. They didn't even say, they didn't even use that in the movie. That's as funny as anything in the fucking movie. The authorities named him Pablo Escobar, <laughs> who still lives on as a statue, correct, Stevens? Oh, he was a little bear, too. He was taxidermied, and he's in a mall in Kentucky right now. Yeah. Pablo Escobar. Um, he's a little guy. Yeah. Only a 170-pound bear. Yeah, yeah. Cocaine bear is a little bit bigger than that. So you have Pablo Escobar in real life, cocaine bear, the movie bear. Um, I like the movie bear. I like the movie bear, too. The movie bear, all right. Very entertaining. Uh, what are the... There's this... This movie's got a comedy pedigree behind it that I have like quite a bit of respect for. Um, its producers are Lord and Miller. Uh, you know those guys? I, I don't. Uh, Phil uh, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. They do the Lego movies. Oh, uh, okay. They did uh, 21 Jump Street films. Yeah, I could I could have felt that in this movie. They did movie. some other funny stuff. They were fired from the Han Solo movie halfway through. And Ron Howard finished it. And their guy, Alden... Their Han Solo is in this movie. Yeah, he was... Uh, Alden Ehrenreich or something. I always fuck his name up. And uh, we didn't even recognize him at first. It took us a little bit to uh, to notice him. So these guys are clever. They have a sort of innovative comedy mind. Um, they can do non-sequitur stuff. They can do little one-liners, quick jabs here and there. And uh, I mean, think about the 21 Jump Street movies. This has a very similar sense of humor as those movies. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. And... Uh it uh, felt Stranger Things esque too, just because it was following that '80s kind of. Uh, and this movie is directed by a very talented comedic actress uh, named Elizabeth Banks. What do we uh, What do we know Liz Banks from? I was first exposed to her in this, the Sam Raimi Spider Man film. She played Betty Brant, J. Jonah Jameson's mm-hmm. um, secretary. I think that's when I was exposed to her first because I was not a really flashy part, but she stuck out. You well, know I always I mean? thought that girl's so much prettier than Mary Jane. Yeah, and she was always like, "Hey, Pete." Yeah, you know, and know. meanwhile he's chasing around Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> but that kiss scene, though. Yeah. What do you th- do? You think that kiss scene was meant to change the trajectory of my youth? Possibly. Yeah, I mean, do you think it was? I mean, it was. Do you think it was like a sort of like an oral sex simulation? 
Man, it was intense. And That's sort of, I'm not sitting over here being a perv. I am, but I'm saying millions of other pervs agree. Well, and it was like, he's upside down. It's like a blowjob, dude. And it's like raining. Yeah. It's a lot going on. It's great, dude. It's hot stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I didn't dissect it. Like, yeah, yeah, this is two weeks in a row we talk about our reverse Spider-Man blowjob. We got to get out more often. <laughs> Boy, yeah, everything's cool, you know? I'm just still over here living the life of a munch. <laughs> still being a munch but um <laughs> elizabeth banks uh the next time she caught my oh attention my was in what i think one of the funniest movies of all time it's one of my favorite comedies of all time it's called wet hot american summer what year was wet hot american summer stevens is that early 2000s 2000 and uh oh my gosh let me get up the IMDb for Wet Hot. I know it was before. It was Wet Hot American Summer was a sort of a, a satire of summer camp movies uh, made with a, a same same kind of deals here. A whole 2001. Bunch of, 2001, a whole bunch of really talented, funny, comedic personalities amongst some of Elizabeth Banks' first work. And um, she is going on to have a very successful year. You got, uh, you got Liz punched up on the, uh, as an actress, lots of funny stuff. Uh, always reliable as a comedic actress. And she's done some directing too. She did a Pitch Perfect sequel. And um, where she got sort of saddled, she got a raw deal a couple years ago, and she got sort of talked into doing a Charlie's Angels reboot with Kristen Stewart, and I forget who the other angels were, and I never even saw it, uh, to be honest with you, because I like Elizabeth Banks, but I have undying loyalty to the McGee-directed Charlie's Angels films, starring Drew Barrymore, Lucy Liu, and Cameron Diaz. I've never seen one of them. God, the first one's fucking great. Really? The second one's not bad either. But, um, yeah, they're cool, super fun movies, you know, great action and everything, just across the board fun. But uh, Liz Banks, what else, Stevens? What else do we have her in that people may know her from? Uh, as an actress yeah, or a director? Yeah, tell her as an actress. She hasn't directed a whole lot. Um, yeah, she only has like seven. Um, oh, uh, Brightburn, which kind of flopped. That was like the scary... Reverse Superman? Yeah, reverse Superman well. kind of thing. Um, IMDb does a bad job of like listing movies. Like, act- oh, they're chronological. Yeah, yeah. They just they should list best, you know. Uh, she was she, great in the forty year forty year old virgin. Why am I blanking on her part in that? She's goes says, I want some fucking French toast. Oh, okay. Yeah, like the drunk girl. <laughs> he's like, no, I thought that was Leslie Mann. No, and he's like, I'm gonna put my bike in your trunk, and she's like, oh yeah. Look at Elizabeth Banks. Leslie Mann's the one who sh- throws up the sh- the shellfish. She's like, shouldn't be driving. She's driving drunk. And That's Judd Apatow's wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm getting it mixed up. All Damn, right. it's all good. Well. <clears throat> Yeah, Banks is in that, and she runs with that whole crew. A lot of funny people. And it shows Cocaine Bear is an absurdist comedy slasher film. Set in the 80s, and even filmed in an 80s-like fashion, right? Yes. Sorry, I was just uh, Elizabeth Banksing for another second. She's an awesome role in The Hunger Games. She's the the chick who, like, announces Katniss Everdeen. Is she, she the, she's not the designer Does she do the designer Is she just like the The host um, All I know is She's like the guest Who picks the name And, and her makeup And everything Is like pretty iconic From that Yeah scene. yeah Yeah um, I'll give you a So you can see it But It's just It's cool because She's in like the Whatever The cheap ass district That Katniss is from And she's all dressed up Like this And everyone looks like They're in a fucking Concentration camp and she's very talented and she's yeah. very ambitious. And uh, she took a hard hit with the Charlie's Angels flick. And leading up to this movie, she's like, I really need Cocaine Bear to work. Or I think that this is like a career ending movie for me. 
I think it worked. And I don't think it is going to be a career ending movie before. I think reviews have been kind of mixed on it. All by people I know, my friends and stuff say, oh, Cocaine Bear is fun. It was pretty crazy, you know? And it, is, it, sort of, it sets the tone right in the beginning. You um, can't. You and I both left this movie, though, saying to each other, like, how could this movie ever seriously be reviewed by critics, though? Like, what the, what the fuck are you going to say? The movie's about a bear that eats drugs and then kills people. Yeah, like, it's called Cocaine Bear. And there's supposed to be laughs along the way. Like, yeah. are we comparing this movie to, like, sh- like the Shawshank Redemption? Like, Yeah, and it's not even, and it's not even like, it's it's not Jaws, you know, or it's not, Yeah, it's not all the way a comedy and it's not all the way a horror. I was thinking, though, after this movie, there should be, like, Cocaine Shark and Cocaine Lemur. Well, like, you actually know it's interesting that you bring that up. Because I think a lot of people know about Cocaine Bear, but I don't think they know about it. It's the Cocaine Bear Cinematic Universe. This is a thing. What? Did you hear you didn't hear about Cocaine Bear Cinematic Universe? Uh-uh. Well, like all great heroes' journeys, it starts out with a trilogy. So Cocaine Bear, this is what we just saw, is part one, right? Yes. Uh, then part two is called Bad Credit Bear. <laughs> and part three is Blowjob Bear. Oh, my God. Those are the first three stages of Cocaine Bear's life. But along the way... He makes some friends like um, who was it? Meth goldfish and alcoholic uh, meerkat sort of animals out there in the wild sort of struggling with the same kind of things that cocaine bear struggles with, you know, likes to do their drugs and be left alone. But people always are bothering him. It makes him a little bit murderous. But they meet each other over the course of this trilogy and sort of become a, you know, it's sort of de facto team. You know, they hang out together. They're buds. They're all they're codependents. Hero's journey. They're like the codependent adventures, you know. And a real problem, a real thorn in their side, besides people bothering them and the hassle of drug addiction, is a Crack Shark. He's their enemy. He's like a good Thanos, if you will. When are these slated for release? Uh, they'll probably come out about every four years, I think. But Crack Shark is the menace. He's the bad guy. But they do finally all end up to be able to team up and take on Crack Shark in um, Cocaine Bear Endgame. <laughs> They're at a party at the beach, and Crack Shark comes around. And then um, all four of the characters... Um, hang out and do drugs in a bathroom for two hours and 45 minutes. And then that's the end. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> At first I was taking you serious. So I want you to know that. <sighs> I don't even know what to say. I was talking to a friend of mine the other night about cocaine bear and I was like, Oh yeah. That's... So apparently it's like almost like a race movie. Like, um, you know, this, this, all this cocaine gets lost in the woods and, you know, you got the mobs looking for it. The cops are looking for it. This lady's looking for her kid, you know. Um, there's all these people, like, running around the woods looking for this cocaine. There's four waitresses from the Skull Creek Boathouse running around trying yeah. desperately to find it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, a little, just a little cocaine bear humor for you there, guys. Well, Hilton Head is full of cocaine bears. Yeah, I mean, I could only imagine what would happen if a smuggler <laughs> crashed his plane over Hilton Head. Oh, my God. And dumped hundreds of pounds of cocaine. A lot of restaurants would be closed that day. A lot of no call, no shows. What do you think? I mean, my job would be easy. All the people that annoy the <laughs> fuck out of me would be gone looking <laughs> for coke. So I would actually have a peaceful gig for one day in my Not too life. many requests that night. No. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, cool. oh, my God. Don't even get me started. There's a guy that my keyboard player, Charlie, is ready to strangle. I have to, like, rear him in. Because of excessive requests? Oh, yeah. There's this guy that comes up every fucking time he sees us play, and he makes this, like, terrible long-winded joke about, like, oh, I would hate it if you covered free-falling right now. That would, I would not want you to do that. So do you suspect no. that this individual uses cocaine? 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah well, I would expect. Of not, yeah, because you you said he wouldn't be there, so. I would ex- yeah, I would expect this individual to. I would see a lot of coked up people making requests for head musicians all the time. Yeah, it's definitely. It can be tough. Christ. Yeah. I don't know how people could do coke and play music. I mean, they've done it for years, but it seems I don't know. Absurd. Someone asked me like, "Oh, did you uh like oh Matt, did you get coke to go see Cocaine Bear?" And I was like, "No." I got it the night before and then like, did all of it before I got to go see the movie. 2 p.m., you asshole. <laughs> That's not true, by the way. I didn't do that last night. I stayed home last night and had a nice little movie marathon and relaxed. So that was cool. But um, I liked Cocaine Bear Stevens. I think it was very funny. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, some of the dialogue. Oh, sucked, I think it was. I think it was really funny. And I don't want to spoil any of the big surprise for people because there's a lot of nice little, you know, treats and laughs. I will say the movie is wildly gory. Way gorier than yeah, I expected. So yeah. It's gross. If you're not a big fan of gore, you might not like Cocaine Bear that much. I mean, personally, I'm not going to say it was a good movie. It wasn't a good movie. I. It was an okay movie. But do I think it sucked? No. But I also think it knew what it was. Yes. And embraced it. So I think if if you know if somebody wants to write like, well, uh, I saw Cocaine Bear and didn't have a profound moment. It's fine. Well, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah, who, it's fine. You know, I'm went fine. to the theater and tried to. Have a profound moment with a bear on coke. I think almost anyone will have a couple laughs going to see Cocaine Bear. Nice, lean, and mean 90 minutes, too. Short. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was the best part when it was over. I was like, wow, I didn't spend my whole day here. <laughs> yeah, it was short, and it still felt kind of long. You know? You know, even towards the end, I was like, all right, you know, I think it's time to... Somebody said it best. Uh, somebody said, like, the last 30 minutes, they try to, like you know, compound on these characters a little bit more that they think the audience cares about, which none of, I didn't care about a single fucking person in this movie. Maybe the comic relief child. Oh no, it's all chum for the waters. Yeah. 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 But the, that they, one kid was all right. The kid with the blonde hair is that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. He and, was pretty funny. Yeah. He wasn't. But towards the end of the movie, they like, they go a little long without the bear and you're like, bring the fucking bear back. A little bit of drug inaccuracy in this movie. Do you remember when the kids like find the 10 pounds of cocaine and they like challenge each other to eat? To, they don't know what, what, how much these kids are. What, like eleven or twelve years? That was old, the hardest right? I laughed in the movie. Yeah. yeah, it's funny as hell. They like dare each other to, oh, how much are you supposed to take this? I think you're supposed to take about a teaspoon. He's like, you eat a teaspoon. Yeah, you that. eat it. So these kids eat massive spoonfuls of cocaine, and then spit it out immediately. Like, oh, it's gross. I'm going to do it. Yeah, and those kids would be high, dude. Those kids for would be seven fun. days based on the amount of cocaine they ingested, even though they spit it out right away. Yeah. Yeah. Lips would be numb. Teeth yeah. Would be... And I was wondering, I was like, is this movie going to acknowledge that these kids are super high from this? Or is it Dude, they didn't gonna... act like skeeted for a second. No, well, that's the thing. They th- I think you're supposed to think they spit it out right away. So they didn't, you know, uh, all get absorbed into their bloodstream. I don't know. I don't know the intricacies, but I do know. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. I'm like a Nat Geo photographer for people that do blow. <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I don't do it myself, but I sit in the fucking tall grass and watch these retards fucking <laughs> do it for hours and... I'm kind of a, uh, a cocaine documentor if you, you know. Wow. But. Yes, on the outside looking in. Dude, the first time I, I was 14 years old, the first time someone hit me, I was like, want a bump? And I was like, I want you to leave me alone. 14? Yeah. That's sick. Playing gigs, bro. That's sick. When you play music at bars, people offer you drugs. Who offered you coke when you were 14? Do I know this person? Mm. Maybe not. No. Well, I'm obviously not going to, I'm going to make you tell me afterwards, but that's sick. Yeah. But some people are sick about that kind of stuff around here. But I'm, in, saying that, look, hey, I'm not saying I don't have a history with the scene, you know. I mean, let's be honest. But in that Jesus person, Christ, in that person's defense, and also by the way, I will throw away my one R word that I had in my drawer to use on the Good Pals podcast. I shouldn't say the R word. But uh, where was I going with this? In that person's defense, that offered me cocaine, 
I had a, I had a full beard at fourteen. Yeah, you were pretty. You shredded guitar pretty hard too. Yeah, they were like, "Who's this dad?" So, <laughs> whose dad is this? Why so is yeah, it? you might have looked a little bit. You might have looked a little bit older. I get it. I get it. But yeah, so I just but I found myself entertained by the movie. Uh, some other good actors are in it. Um, um, Ice Cube's son O'Shea Jackson Jr. Yeah, who plays could, a criminal? Who could use a? I don't know. Yeah, Zach. If I heard Zach Stevens fat shame an actor for the first time today. Well, ever. First thing we said walking out of the theater is, oh, Ice Cube's son could afford to get in the gym. Well, that's just coming I'm from like, a guy. Damn. That's coming from a guy who's done like two and a half months in the the gym and thinks now he can talk about the gym. I say, what is it? What is he saying? Pulp Fiction. He's like, I mean, brother got a weight problem. I don't know if I'd say he's fat. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not fat. He's a little husky guy. I was but. no, I was kind of taken aback. I was like, damn, he's beefed up a bit. Yeah, um, well, from what I mean, you know, when he when he played his dad and uh, you know, and what's the end up uh, what's straight out of comp? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, he looked like a young kind of skinny Ice Cube. Yeah, but whatever. It's true, but he's good. Um, last film for the late great late Ray Liotta. Oh my God! Yeah, what a legacy to leave behind. Yeah, but what a dog should send off. Yeah, not his finest. Movie. I mean, they paint him as the worst person in like the first five minutes he's in the movie. Yeah, you know what? He's in Goodfellas, so he had a good career. I mean, just based on like something wild and Goodfellas alone. I mean, he's here, a Hall of Famer. Here's something that will um, throw a little monkey wrench into Matt and I's movie relationship. I think a lot of what Ray Liotta done is not that good. That's just my opinion. Well, not, but I just mentioned two movies that I think he's fantastic in. Yeah, which I like those movies. Sometimes he does a lot of the same kind of shit, though. Yeah. yeah. I well, I thought he was terrible in um the the Sopranos movie, The Many Saints of New York. Yeah, no, he wasn't very good in that. I just don't understand how. I think, I think Ray Liotta took a lot of paycheck gigs, kind of. At the end, yeah. I don't think he was real picky about his projects. It's probably. Wonder, I think he had a little bit of a sweet tooth himself. Mm. I suspect he might have had a sweet I think tooth. he was just happy to be working. I did read, though, Elizabeth Banks said, but this is also sometimes the kind of shit that people say about people after they die. That, do you know where this film was, uh, where this was filmed, Cocaine Bear? I well, mean, those were Appalachian Mountains, I know. Uh, Ireland. What? Ireland. No, I don't know. Yeah, man. That. She said they were in Ireland. So I don't know if the, they took a trip to Ireland or if they filmed over there. What the deal is? They're all over there. And he reconnected with his roots over there. Like, no way that whole movie's filmed there. Though. He was. A, he said everyone thinks he's Italian. He was adopted. He was, he was adopted by Italians, but he's actually an Irish kid. So he was in Ireland. and it, um, Get the fuck out. It was uh, County Wicklow, Ireland. Yeah. So he felt really reconnected with his Irish roots. And he had a new fiance. Who I'm sure was probably uh, 30 years younger than him or something, and they were having a good time over there. And he said he was very happy and felt his felt his cultural identity for the first time. So he was happy at the end. There's Appalachian-looking mountains over there. Sure, there's mountains in Ireland, man. Well, Clemson. no, I get that, but like, I mean, as a guy that has you know grown up some of his life vacationing in some of these spots, wow, it really does. There's a couple. There's a couple pretty shots in the movie. I was sort of surprised they didn't focus on it a little bit more. Yeah. We're going to go all the way to Ireland for that natural majesty. I wonder why they went there. Because, I mean, I know it's a lot of movies are being filmed in Georgia because of the tax breaks you can get yeah. making movies. I mean, God, a lot of those Avengers, like, city scenes are in Atlanta, right? Oh, yeah. 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 They film a ton of shit there. I mean, I will say this. Like, you know you know what I mean when I say, like, the Blue Ridge Mountains? Like, you know those aren't the Rocky Mountains. When you see them, they're domed and covered in... in yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, That's yeah, why I was yeah. co totally convinced this movie was shot in Georgia somewhere. Yeah, but they, but they didn't do it. I saw a couple shots where like, oh, that looks nice. But it wasn't, the scenery wasn't a big part of it. But the major part of the budget was, you know, making the CGI bear. Yeah. It looked okay, effects-wise. I've seen worse. I've seen better. I didn't think it was bad. It wasn't bad to work. 
I'll tell you this. I thought the fucking CGI bear in this movie is better than the CGI bullshit in Avengers Quantumania. Oh, man. Quantumania. Dope movie. <laughs> Modoc. Can we talk about, though, one thing we jumped right over? And you probably, every time I say that we missed something, you're like, I was just about to say that, Stephen. No, no. But what are you- the movie opens up with Jane by Jefferson Starship. This is my favorite thing, my favorite little Easter egg. You can go ahead and drop that because you showed it to me. But So it's an 80s movie. It's got some good needle drops in it. I think Chain's yeah. a 70s song, but whatever. So I yeah, know it, had, it was going to have some good 80s songs in it, and it does. But the movie's opening credits are set to the song Jane by Jefferson, Char- Jefferson, Jefferson Starship, which I fucking love. But what I, was, what I thought of right away is that the first time I ever saw Jane in a movie, it was in the aforementioned Wet Hot American Summer the funny summer camp movie where the opening credits are also set to Jane. And the very first image that you see in wet, hot American summer is a super foxy Elizabeth Banks, official girlfriend of the good pals podcast dancing by a campfire to Jane by Jefferson starship. And she also used that song to open this, um, directorial debut of hers. And I think this is cool. And that makes her cool as hell. And I, was, I, I like Elizabeth Banks and I want her to do more shit. I want to see what she can do. When it started though, with that needle drop, cause Jane, just a badass song. It's a banger. Um, I was like, oh, we're going to get tons of needle drops this movie. We didn't. No. We got like royalty-free moments where like there was just like sounds I like could have put in like my high school films. You know yeah, I mean? well, it's, but, I'm sure that was money too. They didn't have a lot of money on this, man. They put it all into that bear for real, dude. Well, and the bear didn't look bad. That's why, yeah. you know, I can do yeah, that. Was, that was the goal. The bear and I guess the gore, you know, which was okay. Dude. How about that ambulance were... scene? Guys, there's a chase scene involving an ambulance in this movie that is really something else. Wild. Yeah. But it's well shot, you know. It's well shot and it's well cut. Like, Cocaine Bear is all right, man. If I can dig it. If you're not uptight and you want to have a good time at the movies and you can stomach some gore, and you know you have a major problem with drugs, then I think we're in agreement to say go see Cocaine Bear. Enjoy yourself for ninety minutes, man. Have a few laughs. Yeah, why not? Yeah, good job, Elizabeth. Thanks. Yeah, it's not going to ruin your career, girl. You got this. Not the greatest drug movie of all time, though. No, and what is, in your opinion? Well, we were we had dinner at uh, Bamboo, Big Bamboo, before we came over here, and we're doing a little pre, pre-show pre recording. Be good. Why are you pointing at me right now? Matt sometimes has a uh, tendency to express his... I'm out... I'm man, listen, I speak the truth. I'm the fucking man of the people. If I lie to the people, then I won't be the man of the people. That's all I'm going to say about that. Anyway, what I did point out to you is, besides... <laughs> I thought my hamburger was maybe a little bit expensive at Big Bamboo. Oh my god! But whatever. Uh, it's <laughs> five of my three of my top five favorite movies of all time are considered drug movies. Uh, Goodfellas, Boogie Nights, and City of God are probably my top three favorite movies, literally. And they all involve drugs. I don't think of them as drug movies in my head though. Boogie Nights, yes. Goodfellas, mob movie. City of God, mob movie or crime movie. You know. Um, and those are movies that I would, I'm not going to talk about any of them here because I love them all so much that I would like to expound on them at length on further podcasts yeah. when we have that. But there's still plenty of drug movies to talk about. The problem is, Stevens, there's a lot of different kinds of drug movies, subgenres, if you will, correct? Yeah. So you got a movie that's about drugs, a movie that's about people that do drugs, it's a movie about people who sell drugs. There's a movie that's made by people that were clearly on drugs when they made it. There's a movie that was heavily influenced by drug culture. There's a movie that's enjoyable to watch while you're on drugs. Yeah. These yeah. are all drug movies, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to try to mix it up and talk about a few a few different ones. 
But when I first when I first think of drug movies, I think of comedies first before anything else. Are you the same boat or look or really heavy? I mean, um, you know, I, I love a fun drug movie. Like I, uh, I mean, three that come to the top of my head immediately is like I love Days and Confuse. Yes, I'm a or, oh, oh, sorry, I'm I just jumped the gun. Days and Confuse is good, but yeah, I, yeah. I would call it more like a coming of age in a way. For sure, um, Half Baked is a uh, one of my favorites because I love Chappelle. Yeah. And then um, Pineapple Express. I mean, you know, that's when um, uh, Franco and uh, uh, Rogan were at like the height of their, uh, you know, buddy movie companionship kind of thing. I think that Pineapple Express is interesting because it sort of marks a tipping point. Um, Stoner comedies are nothing new. They've been around forever. They've been around since Cheech and Chong in the 70s, which are some great ones, you know, Up in Smoke, Still Smoking, Next Movie, really funny, but they're exaggerated. And, you know, Half-Baked was funny, but even a little bit exaggerated. So Seth Rogen, I think, made like a conscious decision to like sort of take on the mantle of like Hollywood stoner, right? Like with just his openness and frankness about drug use. And I think in Pineapple Express, there's a little bit more of a realism. There's just stuff you saw in Pineapple Express that was like, this guy who wrote this, which is Rogen, who wrote it and started, is a fucking, he's a real deal stoner. Oh yeah, like uh, like when you're going to your dealer's house and you know you just want to get your you just want to get your bud and get out. And you got James Franco. He's like, oh come on, man, I'm watching Kroll. Hang out for a minute, dude. My like favorite. first of all, who the fuck watches Kroll besides stoners? That's like me and my homies in college. And every guy that you get shit from wants you to hang out and smoke one before you go anywhere else. My brother and I always quote the scene when he's uh sitting there before Seth Rogen shows up to buy his bag. He's sitting there watching, and the uh the black lady on screen's like. I thought hurricane season was over. And he just back at the TV goes, I thought hurricane season was over. And then he lets out this guttural laugh. It's just like, ah. <laughs> and then the door rings. It's just like, what the fuck, man? Pineapple Express is really, is really funny. It's got some authentic stoner kind of stuff in there. It's got like the cross joint in it, you know? Yeah. Everyone's trying to roll a weird shaped joint or smoke out of something weird or Everyone smoked a potato or an apple or God the fuck knows, almost anything. What I used to do is I would take water bottles, um, put a little tinfoil on the top. Oh, he'd make a little bong? Put a little hole, cut a little hole on the side. Bam. Yeah. Bluffton bong. Yeah, but then I got a... But then, oh, the best thing that ever, hap <laughs> ever happened to me was by a friend's older sister. I was bestowed a black bowl. And even in this bowl, my, my one of my best friends has it today, and it's like an heirloom. <laughs> like a family heirloom. Yeah. The black bowl of... Dude. Oh, my God. And it was the best because... Oh, joy. Yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of shitty, too. So if you, like, inhaled too hard, you would uh, swallow a little bud, and it was like a Scooby snack, and you'd be like... <coughs> you ever you ever miss marijuana, Stevens? You haven't smoked for a long time. I miss the camaraderie of marijuana. Yeah, I haven't smoked in a long time either, so it's, you know... It's... I don't miss being a person that, like, everywhere they go, they're like, wait, let me hit this. Wait. We gotta do this, and also my friends that smoke weed smell like weed. I don't want to smell like weed. Yeah, can but be pungent these days. I will say this: like, what is better than when you do come upon some friends in an awesome place, especially outside, like camping or somewhere scenic, and they're like, "I have a joint," or "I have a blunt." That's cool, you know. Yeah, There's something about that. But I'm I'm a low functioning stoner uh, though, like, or used to be a low functioning stoner. So being outside is. For me, when I get high, that's like counterintuitive because I'm like chilling. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I like hit one at the beach or something once I'm there and and doing it. Like I used to be like that, but what I do, what I miss is I miss getting high and going to the movies. I just love 
getting high and going to the movies. Yeah. I mean, See, it was fun. I'm sure I would have had some nice chuckles at Cocaine Bear, you know, even some extra ones had I been a little bit blazed up. But even more so, I like a big, like, epic immersive movie. Something like a Boogie Nights. Yeah. That I can sit down with and really just get, man, I get all the way in. But um, I can still do it. Did it, how did it. How did it affect you creatively? Oh, man, forever awesomely. Yeah. Like, like it would open my... I mean, I would say smoking weed open like my musical palette and, and film palette and just like everything. Like it changed my life artistically. But then, um, I don't know, you just get to this like dependency point on it where it's just like not even fun, you know? I really liked uh, I really liked writing about music and film when I was high, like after I smoked. I, see, I like to get high and learn a song. Yeah. It's almost like it made it easier. Yeah, interesting. But then the, the, the downsides of it are just, you know. What Do you have some funny words for like being overly like stoned my brother my brother is a couple he'll say to me on the phone um i don't really think so man my, my buddy drew you know that guy uh you know the guy's podcast bit i played you from detroit yeah he said jesus stock you're higher than 100 hippies jeez <laughs> my brother will uh i'll go nick you've been smoking he goes dude i'm gazilched <laughs> gazilch is going i heard uh i know a real foxy I know a real foxy uh, hippie gal that I grew up with who used to always say, let's get lifted. She's like, Maddie, let's get lifted. I was like, ooh, that's cool. Uh, uh, yeah. Be cooler. Yeah. If a girl says to me, I'd be like, oh. Yeah, but, sure. But um, Nick also says, I'll be like, hey, when are you going to be home and talk to you? He'll be like, well, he's like, I'm going to get a coffee and smoke a number. <laughs> I'll be home. Nick, you better lay off that jazz cabbage, buddy, to your young man. Yeah, our, my mom doesn't listen to this, so who cares? Yes. <laughs> Nick, your secret's Nick, safe with me, Nick, brother. Nick, you're a grown-ass man. You can get lifted anytime you want to. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that, but that's what I like about Pineapple. Is it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun stoner movie with the, some of that Seth Rogen authenticism to it. And, yeah, I know. saw all these movies while high. While was, you know, when we, when we look up these movies online, you know what comes up number one always is Requiem for a Dream, Ugh. which is a movie we're not going to go into any detail about. It's Darren Aronofsky's heroin nightmare film. Does that guy not make just the most unsettling movies yeah. of all time? Yeah, like, they're hard to watch. Who the fuck hurt him? They're hard to watch when Requiem was no exception. And uh, I'm not going to go into I, I saw it one time and I'll never watch it again. And yeah. I hate heroin and... It's just, it's not even, it's not even a thing. But uh, you mentioned Dazed and Confused, which I think is on the border of not even being a drug movie anymore. But because of the way it was marketed with all the pot leaves and the hippie skippy, um, it's, it's, it's got that, it's hitched to that always. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad time because what do we talk about all the time, Stevens? We talk about nostalgia here, right? Yeah. And Dazed Confused is one of the single most nostalgically pleasing films I've ever seen in my life, man. And I didn't grow up in the 70s. I grew up in the 80s. You know, it was about 10 years off the time frame of Daisy Confused. But I fucking drove around with my friends and smoked and looked for beer <laughs> and flirted with girls and just tried to find a place to party and stayed up till the sun came up and talked about it. I went camping for Aerosmith tickets. I did all that shit. Sure. And I love it in that movie. And the thing about Daisy Confused, it's celebrating its 30th anniversary this year, came out in 1993. Holy shit. Um, the thing about Daisy Confused is that it had you'll never see another movie in the history of time that has that much talent at a very beginning of their stages in one movie. Affleck, McConaughey. Where so many people became absolute megastars coming out of that movie. And they were green. And there's a there's a man, there's a book about it called All Right, All Right, All Right. The Oral History of Days Confused that I read this year. It was fantastic. If you're a Days Confused fan, you can grab it on Amazon for five bucks. And read about the making of this movie and how much fun it was and the camaraderie and the stories and the gossip, of course, too. 
But um, should I answer our first ever phone call? Since yeah, just, sure, go ahead. We we're just we talking about the kid. Hey, Nick. You're on the podcast. We're live right now. What's up, Nick? Oh snap! What's up? <laughs> we're talking just, about uh, we're just... talking about marijuana movies right now. You got anything to say about that, brother? Mm, right at the top of the dome, Pineapple Express, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't think of anything else. I also said on uh, I outed you on the pod. I said your number one word for being high is gazilched. Getting gazilched. Gazilched. Yazilched. <laughs> What do you do when you get gazilch? Do you watch something, Nick, or do you listen to music, or do you get your game on? Uh, I'm more, yeah, definitely game and music. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, I, I try to watch All right. a movie every now and then. Speed, speed around me right now. You're gazilched. You're by yourself at the house. Movie to watch, video game to play, album to listen to. Oh, nice. Oh, this is... You got to speed around it. Uh, album to listen to. I'm gonna go in rainbows, Radiohead. Ooh. Okay. Game to play. Mm. <laughs> Dude, that's hard, man. That's hard. Put me on the spot. Yeah, I'm gonna go. You got 15 seconds. Go is it a sports, sports game or is it an adventure kind of game? What'd you say? I'm gonna go God of War. Okay. Like okay. Hi. God of War is tremendous. And movie. Movie. I hate to say it, but dude, Interstellar is <laughs> just something else. I mean, it's it'll make you cry, it'll make you happy, it'll make it'll you want to turn it off mind. about halfway through it. <laughs> You're on inter- Matt, you know what's funny, Nick? Matt's not an Interstellar fan or a Radiohead fan. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm a Nick fan all the way. Yeah, Let's I'm, make no I'm mistake. With, I'm with you on these. Two daggers. <laughs> these are these are these are these are all about opinions, brother. But uh, you know, it's interesting that you call it because we were just talking about you on the pod yeah. two minutes ago. So we're like, yeah, let's sure, let's put him on. Fuck yeah, it. first ever phone call on the pod. But Nick, I'll give you a shot after this. I love you, dude. All right, I love y'all. Hi, Nick. Oh, love y'all. Oh, he loves you too. He's a good. <laughs> he's a good kid. He is a good kid. You don't like Interstellar? No. What is wrong? with That's so boring and so just f- pretentious and fucking sappy. Stupid. Can we have like pretentious? Yeah. Can we get like two trump cards, uh, uh, like every five episodes or something, where we're allowed to just look at one another and just go wrong? Yeah, sure, that's fine. I mean, we think it, we we always have these things that we disagree. But on. if we got a, if we agreed on everything, this wouldn't be fun. I watched Interstellar once, and it was like a fucking labor to like get through it for me. Really? Yeah. And I wasn't in a bad mood. I didn't have anything going on. I was excited to see the movie. I love Christopher Nolan, but... I don't think Jessica Chastain has ever done anything bad in her life. <sighs> yeah, I love Jessica Chastain. But... Dude, when she... When when McConaughey answers that, like, signal call, the video call from her, and she's like, we really miss you back here, Dad. Like, And he starts, like, hysterically crying. You didn't feel anything? No. I felt, I felt <laughs> that, like... I saw... I was scrolling through... Uh, I was scrolling on my phone today, and I saw that today's the 15th anniversary of an episode of Lost or uh, called The Constant that had a very similar scene where two characters reach each other on telephone after like all this anguish and mystery and when if you were a Lost viewer an obsessive Lost viewer like many millions of us were back then it's considered the greatest episode of Lost of all time but it's something exactly like that I was talking to one of my friends about it earlier also one thing about Interstellar is one of the most iconic Zimmer Nolan scores yeah I know we were gonna say that you didn't like that I mean, it's cool. If it's, yeah, there's lots of good music oh. out there. I don't know. Maybe it's just I'm just a product of like, I'm just a stan, bro. I'm a Nolan stan. That guy could put shit out, and I would say it's good. What movies did you like to watch when you used to, when you were high? <sighs> hmm. 
you want Interstellar? Me to give, you you probably me? Watch some, <laughs> no. You guys probably watched some Nolan, right? No, no, no. Do you want me to give you like my three like rapid rundown like I did just, Nick? Yeah, just any like, you know, or, or like, I don't know, game, music, whatever. But I mean, we're mostly talking about movies or TV shows here. Fair, fair. But like for me, like me and my buddies watch Pink Floyd, The Wall mm. constantly in high school. That's good. Um, because it was just, um, it was really visionary and pretty intense. It had beautiful animation, half animation, half live action. And of course, just the soundtrack, the wall itself, the double album, which I think a lot of Floyd fans get a little bit down on. I think it's great. Yeah. If See, not, maybe a little bit bloated, but the movie is intense. Yeah. I used to, uh, always think Bob Geldof. Looked Alan like, Parker was a director. Yeah, Bob Goldolf played Pink. Yeah, he, I always thought he looked like Jevin Daly in that movie. Really? A little bit. I have to check it out again. Showed um, it at the theater and got a huge turnout for it. I couldn't believe it. Like, yeah, yeah. But um, I have my answer for you. Yeah, I think the best movies to watch when high aren't a singular movie, but from a, a singular director. I think if you're stoned, you should watch some Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. Why not? No doubt, dude. Yeah. You know? Huge stoner movies. I agree. Like uh, Grand Budapest, laugh your ass off. Uh, mm-hmm. Tenenbaums. Yeah, Tenenbaums, laugh your ass Rushmore. off. Rushmore. Dude, get high and watch Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're doing the scene from Half Big where John uh, Stewart's like, you know what's better? <laughs> Looking at the stars on weed. <laughs> it's George Clooney and he plays a fox. We've got to watch it on weed. On weed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's... um. Clooney says, what the cuss? Yeah. Or, Oh, I can't whisper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. And I wear bandit masks. I like bandit masks too. Nice. Um, very cool. Yeah, this is, that's a good call. His movies are fun to watch. Yeah. How about cautionary tales about drugs? Ooh. I mean, Requiem for a Dream is definitely one that falls into that. God. But when I think about, you know, someone who's, well, look, man, I've struggled. I've struggled with some addiction issues in my life and I've experienced a lot of stuff with drugs. And there's one, there, a movie that makes my skin crawl. Well, not makes my skin crawl, it gives me anxiety. Is uh, Paul? Uh, not it's by the director of Boogie Nights, Paul Thomas Anderson, but it's called Magnolia. Oh, okay. And one I haven't seen because honestly, there's like a looming like pressure to like enjoy it. It has a it has an overwhelming arc of a sort of hysteria to it, or or an inflated sense of like drama. But there is one character in the film played by Melora Walters, who is a cocaine addict, and um, she's just having herself a day. Nothing bad happened. I think she's had an argument with her boyfriend or a breakup, but she's just hanging out in her apartment with her curtains all closed, listening to music, chain smoking cigarettes, and blowing lines. And John C. Riley plays a cop who loses his gun, and he's looking for it, and he comes to her apartment. She has to deal with in this full-blown state of, like, cocaine mania slash paranoia, having a cop oh. come to her door, and then end up talking. And then he, like, asks her out on a date, and she said, because they have a weird vibe going or something like that. But the, there's an authenticity to it. The way she's behaving, the way she's thinking, the way she looks, that is like nothing I've ever seen. And it's not a cool way to feel yeah. or be. So if yeah. you're ever curious about what it's like to really do cocaine, watch Magnolia. And just fast forward to all the scenes with John C. Riley and Melora Walters. I'll give you a pretty good idea. And those scenes are just so unsettling. I'm, like in Requiem, they, like the fucking fridge is yelling at yeah, the lady. They are unsettling. The record's unsettling. It's like uh, the scene of Boogie Nights with Julianne Moore and Heather Graham. Where they're where they're just blasting lines in the room, um, also authentic. Look, Paul Thomas Anderson is a cocaine movie guy. Uh, he's a great director. I don't know exactly what his proclivities are. There's word of mouth stuff. Like he was with Fiona Apple for a long time, the musician Fiona Apple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after they had an acrimonious breakup, she said that you know it was like hell, you know, being with him because she would like be locked in a screening room 
with like him and Tarantino for like hours and hours and hours on end. Sounds like hanging out with you and Chase McCord. With them just showing movies and banging lines and that's funny, Steven. You son of a bitch. But um but just like for hours and hours and it was just like torture for, you know, I'm sure at the time it was torture for her at, at the same time too but i've never seen basketball diaries but from what i've heard that's a cautionary tale as well right yeah for sure i don't, I don't remember it super well it's a good movie though yeah i mean I, you should i highly recommend you see magnolia stevens i didn't know you'd never seen it before no no i'll give it a run for sure uh maybe one of tom cruise's best performances now of all time. if you had to just say top of your head yeah what is the most famous cocaine movie of all time um uh, the world is yours oh yeah scarface yeah, for sure. Definitely Scarface. What do you think about Scarface? I think it's fun. I yeah. think it's so fun. I think it's like, a little overrated. Possibly, but... Uh, it's very over the top, but it's very 80s. Great I, synth great synth score by Giorgio Moroder. And the... Is it Pfeiffer? Yeah. Hot, hot, hot. Feeling hot. hot. She's just so hot. Though. Official girlfriend of the Good Pals podcast. <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer. Every, and hey, member of the Good hey Pals guys, Hall of Fame. Take a shot every time Matt finds a new girlfriend for the Good Pals <laughs> podcast. Have be, fun with it. <laughs> be shit faced by the end of see, you, see you on the other side, right? Ooh, Damn. real quick, real quick to backtrack to pot. Um, like in another drug show, probably maybe the the best drug show of all time, Breaking Bad. Um, I've been rewatching it. You know what's funny? The way in season one they talk about weed because the show came out in two thousand eight, and since two thousand eight, the whole like. They talk about weed on Breaking Bad, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, like, what, in, what, well, in what sense? Well, in the beginning, uh, Walt... I, I, I'm asking because I don't really remember. Well, Walt uses his relationship with Jesse. He lies about cooking meth, and he says, Jesse, Jesse Pinkman sells me pot. Oh, yeah, because of the and, cancer. And they like they talk about pot in the next couple episodes as if it's like literally the devil's lettuce. But now, if you watch anything, everyone's smoking weed. Yeah. You know? Any show, any... so. That's just kind of it was a, it was a matter of time, you yeah. know. You any one. other any other big guns jump out of you when we talk about drug movies? Well, it's not a drug movie, but it's a it's a movie where drugs fucking are. I guess in a way, it is a drug movie. But uh, Midsommar, you said you wanted to mention it. Yeah, Midsommar is a, a one of my favorite movies in the last ten years. It's a psychedelic um, drug movie. I love yeah. it. I love Ari Aster. Yeah, it's a, it's a psychedelic movie because the characters do ingest a lot of psychedelics in it, mushrooms at least in the beginning. But uh, Ari Aster, the director, has pulled off one of those feats where I talk about the Magnolia stuff and the authenticity of the cocaine use in it. The authenticity of the mushroom use in Midsommar, I think, is impressive. Yeah. Like, you really get the way the trees flow. Uh, things sort of breathe a little bit. Um, it's, all, it's subconscious. If you're not looking for it, like you'll, only, you'll notice it a couple times. But if you watch it a couple times, you're like, oh, Jesus, there's a face in the tree. Or, that's, I mean, that's a really extreme example. But things move and or sort like of that. pulsate and breathe in scenes where you really don't know what's happening. And it's sort of, yeah, it's, it's like having a psychedelic experience by proxy. And then it becomes pretty terrifying. So, well, yeah, because what's worse, <laughs> you know, if you're having a bad trip, that's on you to, to, you know, win that moment. But if you're having a bad trip and like about to be murdered. Yeah. That's, you know, yeah. That's. I am Midsommar's about a good three hours long almost. So. Is it? Fuck, I don't remember. Yeah, you can you can get sucked into it and it starts out gnarly and it just doesn't really let up. See, I'm like a scary movie guy, but in uh I'm like a traditionalist. Like I want to watch like Toby Hooper or you know, slasher flick and I remember I was dating a girl who was like, "We have to watch Midsommar." Yeah. And I'd been putting it off just exactly how I put Hereditary off right. and all these fucking movies now that are just like 
They're good movies, but man, they're like meant to fuck you up. Uh, like, A twenty four, dude. Yeah, it is A twenty four. It's like it's like we don't want to scare you. We want to traumatize you. It's weird though, and now I'm a, I find myself being sort of critical of some more standard horror movies. Like I watched a movie called Smile yesterday. You, you watched it like yesterday? Do you remember seeing the promotions for Smile? Of course, yeah, of course. It's on Amazon Prime. Yeah. It just came on there. I heard that was good, though. It's not. It's fucking... It's really stupid. Like, oh, okay. I didn't even understand, like... It was bad. The okay, promo yeah. hook was great. Remember, like, football games and baseball games? And yeah, had a person like smiling, smiling. Yeah. in a crowd? Yeah. And that's scary in the movie, but then what it builds up to and becomes, like, I don't know if I missed something or perhaps dozed off, but I really fucking hated it. Yeah, and scary movies used to have, like, I don't know, better use of sound effects, in my opinion, too. Yeah. And, like, soundtracks yeah. and... Yep. Yeah, there's still some good ones out there, though. I love scary movies. I'll keep on seeing them. We got a couple coming up that I'll be talking about in the next month yeah. and a half or so. A uh, new Scream movie comes out, I think, in a few weeks. Dude, are you are you a big Scream guy? Uh, some of them, yeah. Okay, cool, because yeah. um, I like the first one, because yeah. I think it's pretty iconic. It but uh, And the last one that they just put out was good, too. Really? Okay. So, well, so we've got a Scream coming up, and there's also an Evil Dead movie coming out in April that looks gnarly. Ugh. That yeah. other one fucked me up. People that movies are intense, dude. So, I, but I'll I'll take the hit on those. I'll dude, go see these movies. I remember. Do you remember the most recent Evil Dead that came out? Yeah. Like the really fucked up gory one. Yeah. I made a bowl of a uh, top ramen chicken flavor. Oh, okay. And uh, started that movie, dude. I didn't even touch it. Yeah, I didn't eat the noodles because I had to let it cool down. But by the time it cooled down to eating temp, I was in the middle of that movie. And I'd lost my appetite. <laughs> it was like the worst fucking timing ever to make. It was like food. Halloween parties when you're a kid. They're like, "Aren't you going to eat your bowl of guts?" <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Seriously, I can't blame you. I wouldn't want to eat shit after watching The Evil Dead either. Ooh. <coughs> but, but horror is a thing for us. And um, There's a lot of great films about drugs or influenced by drugs or enjoyable on drugs. I think we can agree on that. Are there any other ones you need to throw in for cherry on top? I think we covered a nice amount um, of them. You know, honorable mentions, but ones we didn't really care to talk about. I mean, Fear and Loathing, that's highly drug-based. You know, there'll be many that listeners feel we left out. And please, we love to hear what you guys think. But, um... I don't like fear and loathing being associated with drugs all the time. Well, drugs are a big part of the first like 50 pages of the book, the Vegas trip. I mean, the, the story, maybe Hunter S. Thompson's best written work as a favorite writer of mine. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really about, it's a lot about Vietnam and Nixon and the death of the American dream and how disillusioned he became with America and politics and what the fuck was happening. The drugs were a big part of that. And it was so richly written and so goddamn entertaining that that really sort of became like the, you know, what the book was known for. But if you ever have a little bit of time in your hands, you feel like picking up a book, grab Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and read it. You can enjoy the movie, dude, because Johnny Depp's great. I mean, he lived with Hunter Thompson. Goddamn bats. He immersed himself into that, you know? How weird is Tobey Maguire in that scene? The kid that jumps in that? <laughs> dude, I mean, Depp shot That's Hunter S. Thompson's ashes out of a cannon. Yeah, they shot him, yeah, shot him into the sky. Good funeral, right? Out of a gonzo cannon. It's like face shaped like the shrimp. The fist, not the shrimp. I don't know what I'm talking about. We've gone over time. I'm entertained. <laughs> I'm entertained by the fear and loathing movie. Light him. Somebody bit, light him. <laughs> it's a bit over the top. Maybe focuses on some of the wrong things. Just in my opinion, as a writer and a great admirer of Hunter Thompson. Did you like my Mitzi Shore impression right there? I didn't know. I didn't know who that was you were talking about. Uh, back oh, in, from the comedy store. Yeah, yeah back yeah, in the day the, when people would. Light him. If Mitzi Shore, who was uh, the mother of the comedy store in L.A., if she didn't like your um, set, she would. She would just say from the back of the room, light him, get him off. <laughs> we, uh, we are probably, what time, how, how long are we? We're like an hour and 15 we've, minutes. We've done an hour and 10. Yeah, that's a, I think it's a good, uh, it's probably a good stopping off point for well, this episode. What movie are we seeing next week? Uh, Creed? Yeah, well, we have coming up next week. We're on a short week, but we are going to be looking at Creed 3, the continuation 
of the um, of the I mean the Rocky overarching Rocky Balboa scene with Michael B. Jordan as the son of Apollo Creed. This is the third part. This first one is not going to involve Sylvester Stallone in any shape or form. I think he has a producer credit on it, but he won't be appearing in the film. There's a couple reasons for that too Good, that we're going to talk about. God. Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut, by the way, he directed this one. Oh fuck yeah! So I think what Zach and I are going to talk about is um, we're going to talk. We're going to look at Creed three. We'll probably do a quick Last of Us look. Uh, we'll talk about Creed three, and then we're going to talk about our favorite combat or fighting or conflict movies. I'm putting like a broad curtain on it. Yeah. And uh, I also want you to think a little bit, Stevens, about uh, most auspicious like directing debuts by mm. actors who become directors and their first films. I want to talk about a couple of those too because we're going to be taking a look at Michael B. Jordan's first movie. You're making me want to talk about them now. I have I hope off it's, the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, I, I, hope, I hope it's good. Let's not forget Creed's nemesis in this movie uh, is being, but Donnie Creed's nemesis is being played here by Jonathan, Jonathan Majors. Majors, Kang the Conqueror, the next big thing. Who could, for the first time in a long time, have back-to-back box office chart top. Like, I mean, last week he was a star in Quantumania, which hit yeah, number one yeah. and Creed 3 could hit number one and in, it will in yeah. week to like in a week it will. that's crazy yeah. you know yeah. I'm getting some serious uh, Clubber Lang vibes off him in Creed 3 which would be the analog of Mr. T in Rocky 3 something jacked. else I'm definitely going to talk about is uh, Rocky 3 when we talk about Creed 3 we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff and probably a lot more shit that we didn't even have planned because that is how we do it here on the Good Pals Podcast until next time guys go out have a little fun see Cocaine Bear read a couple books Listen to some good tunes. Enjoy yourselves. And uh, we will see you next week.